In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I think we need husbands whose hearts have changed and they're saying, you know, if it's important for you to take a walk on the beach, I'm going to take a walk on the beach. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Wow, that was in sync. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. And as you heard, I'm here with our co-host and producer, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing wonderful. Hey, I'm really excited about today's guest, and, and here's why. Back in 2000, 2001, we had little kids. We were in the stress bubble. We actually went to Catalina Island, campus by the sea, to the family camp, and this guy ran it, him and his wife, Virginia. And so just to kind of come full circle, you know, almost 20 years later, uh, he's on the East Coast now, and we're up in Oregon. And just to be a part of uh, what he's doing and, and, and to hear him, I'm really, really excited about this guy. He's written some wonderful books. He's had a tremendous ministry. And way back on one of our episodes, we had Earl Wilson on the podcast with the book Restoring the Fallen. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul co-authored that book. And so remember that one episode we talked about uh, unswept corners? Right. Well, that was Virginia who said that. So a lot of, a lot of networking here. So I'm really excited about this guy. You guys, you're going to love this podcast. But before we do, do you have a man word for today? I do. I don't even know what to guess. The title of this book is so long. I, yeah. I, I, I just can't even. So when you do uh, I'm wedding say, ceremonies. I'm going to say. When you do wedding ceremonies, uh, there's a word that you use. And the word you don't like to use. Submit? No. There's a difference between these two things. It's a covenant, is the oh, word. Oh, yeah. yes. When we enter into uh, a marriage, we enter into a marriage covenant, not a contract. Yes. And so I really thought of that today. Um, man, it just seems like so many people we know, are uh, things are crumbling around them. And uh, you see it all the time in the world. And uh, you need to remember that you entered into a covenant with your wife and not a contract protecting one from the other. Yeah, man, I wish guys would get that. I mean, this this marriage thing is so, so serious. There's a statistic in this book that I think really will encourage people, because the church, the divorce rates are just the same, but there's one thing that if couples do this one thing together regularly, mm. Gallup polled that it's a one in over 1,000 
of those couples get divorced. Wow. So this one thing is a marriage. It's a game changer. So, hey, before we bring Paul on, do you have a shout-out uh, for a review a review for us today? Yeah, we do. We, it's GKD is the one that left a review. And so if that's you, uh, shoot me an email, info at org. I want to send you some swag. Thank you so much for that email. We've got uh, a new bumper review. sticker. I'm excited to send them. And we have a bumper sticker, wife. Wife is greater than kids. That's right. I'm excited about that. And he's associated with the barn. Oh gosh, not no, another no. North Carolina guy. Actually, actually, no. He said oh. that he he liked he liked to talk about the the barn, and we need uh, more of those. Yes, with Haynes, yes. the Pope. He loved Maxwell. That. We awesome. love Haynes. Thanks, man. All right, hey man, let's bring on our guest for today. Uh, my new friend Paul Friesen. He's 69 years old. Lives in Bedford, Massachusetts, with his beautiful wife Virginia. They've been married 43 years. So Dr. Paul has been serving in men's and family ministries for more than 40 years through family camps, church positions, speaking, consulting, and writing. In 2003, he founded Home Improvement Ministries with a mission to encourage healthy marriages and families to live out God's design for them. Paul speaks on marriage and men's conferences, oftentimes with his wife, all around the country. He's an ongoing ministry. He has an ongoing ministry with the New England Patriots. Mm. So they do a Bible study, those guys and their couples, uh, every Thursday night, I think. Paul's authored more than a dozen books and curriculums on parenting and marriage, including Letters to My Daughters, In Our Marriage, Before You Save the Date, The Marriage App, which I have that book, and the most recent book, which is our subject for today. I love this title. Loving your wife like Christ when you ain't no Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's great to have you on the show, Paul. How are you doing? Thanks so much, Jim, Dale. Great to be with you. Oh, man. I just am laughing back at that... uh, you know, campus by the sea days. You know, we we had a couple incidences that we still talk about. One was one of my sons. My boys at the time were little boys because they were they were born in ninety four, ninety six, and ninety eight. So they were two, four, and six at the time or something. My youngest one actually threw one of those uh, shuttle pucks at my son and hit him in the head, requiring <laughs> stitches. And then the next year, my whole family got sick and we had to leave early. It was just horrible. It was anyway, but we had a great time at the open air, the open air cabins and great discussions and what a tremendous ministry that you guys have. And actually, I will say this, you said something, you had to talk to the couples one day and you said something and Paul, I'm, I'm really honest here. I've quoted you, I would say a hundred times, and I'm actually going to ask you about this quote because you actually have it in your book. To me, it was so substantial as men uh, as to understand our wives. And so I'm just so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Really glad to be with you, Jim. Hey, can you do me a favor and just share? I mean, I know some of your history and read several of the books that you've authored or co-authored, but can you share a little bit more about your life, the things you enjoy, uh, hobbies, your marriage, whatever you think would be pertinent for uh, guys to know you better? Oh, Sure. Well, you know, I just uh, love being married, and Virginia and I have been married for 43 years, and uh, we have three daughters. They're all in their 30s now, and by God's grace, they're all following the Lord, and uh, we just, uh, we have the privilege of ministering together. We speak at marriage conferences as a couple, and, uh, you know, that's pretty consuming of our time. We love walking, hiking, uh, outdoor sports. We love the beach, and, uh, you know, I have to watch football now because we do work with the Patriots, so it's sort of part of the job, you know? Oh, poor baby. Do you ever get to be down there on the sideline? Do you ever get the pass? 
No, I don't get the pass. We do eat uh, meals with them after the game, but we uh, probably only go to one game a year just because of our schedule. But yeah. uh, it's been an honor to work with them. That's really cool, man. Hey, I do want to take a moment and give a shout out to John Herb. Uh, he actually <laughs> gave me your, I think it was your cell phone number, and so which enabled me to contact you. So I know he's listening to this podcast. So uh, John says hello, and I want to give a shout. Do you, do you have a John Herb story? Well, <laughs> the, the most uh, embarrassing story of my life is a John Herb story. <laughs> you want to go into detail or do you want to take a pass? <laughs> well, the, the, the real short story is, uh, John and Joy had their 20th anniversary uh, celebration, and they invited 10 or 12 couples and asked us to just share with them for the weekend. And we got up late to the inn that we are staying in, and it was a beautiful inn, spiral staircase. Uh, went to bed. Virginia wasn't feeling great. I got up early, wanted to take a shower, not disturb her. The room was completely pitch black because of the curtains. I didn't turn on a light, went in, took a shower, came out, and then I uh, remembered I forgot something in the bathroom, and I went in and backed in so the light wouldn't hit her in the face and waken her, and uh, as I'm backing into the what I thought was the bathroom, I just sort of in slow motion thought, wow, this is a heavy door, and then, wow, I don't think bathroom doors usually self-click, and as it clicked, I turned around, and I was in the lobby of the hotel, buck naked. Oh, no. <laughs> And, uh, so, but I didn't want to pound on the door too much because everyone else's rooms were around there. I didn't want them to come out. And uh, I, I caught the eye of a maid and I thought, well, I'll ask her to let me in. But what maid's going to let a buck naked guy into a room that has no identification? <laughs> Finally, my wife opens the door and I roll in naked. She says, what are you doing naked in the hallway? <laughs> So uh, I trust the surveillance uh, film has not been uh, looked at. That could ruin a man's ministry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's a great – thanks for sharing that. Hey, your book, uh, love, Loving Your Wife Like Christ When You Ain't No Jesus, to me that is the funniest title. Walk, walk me through that title. Well, you know, I hope the, the contents of the book live up to the title. I love the title, too. But in, in my life and my observation, a lot of men walk around with this cloud of failure over them. Uh, they're pretty sure they're not the husband they should be. Their wife uh, just lets them know that regularly, sometimes <laughs> sometimes just like, oh, I thought you said you'd clean the kitchen, or I, why are we parking here? Just a sense we never quite get it right. We're pretty sure that we're not the dad we should be. And uh, we have this sense that God probably isn't happy with us either. So we walk with this sense of failure. And then Christ says to love our wife uh, like Christ. And we go, what chance do I have? And so the book is really written to give hope to ordinary men that uh, we're called to live like Christ, but we're not going to be Christ. We're not Jesus. And uh, so it's hopefully a practical book of hope. Well, you wrote, on uh, just on the introduction on page 17, you wrote, if I were to interview 100 husbands, I believe I would find that over 75 of them would attest to often feeling like they are a disappointment to their wives and children and to God. The other 25 simply have an overinflated view of themselves. And I, I thought that was really good. And you know, it's really interesting, Paul, and I, I read about probably four dozen books a year for the podcast, and uh, so I've become kind of critical of books and your book started off slow, but it 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 got better 
and better and better and better. And I was so, inc- I fell in love with this book. This is a phenomenal book on marriage. A lot of authors I read have the great chapter one, and by chapter three, they're done. And so <laughs> you're just kind of dragging on, trying to, they're trying to scoop something out of nothing. But yours just kept building and building. And I, I was so encouraged, man. Thank you so much for this book. Uh, you said uh, something similar to your introduction on page 17. On page 22, you wrote this. I believe deep in the heart of every man is a longing to hear from those he loves, especially his wife, something similar to the words of Jesus from the one he loved. And you quoted uh, the father talking to Jesus in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. This is my son, who I love, in him I am well pleased. And I got to tell you, Paul, I love that. I've never thought of that before, but the, that's the greatest thing Shanna can ever say to me. I, I long to hear those words from her. You know, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. Will you explain how you came to this conclusion uh, how, of how men view themselves and what they need from their wives? Well, you know, uh, boy, I agree with you completely, Dale. If I go out of the house and Virginia is affirming me, I can take on anything that day. If I go out with, why don't you, you never do, I can't believe, whatever happens, it's going to be a tough day. Uh, She's the one that I want to hear from the most. And I think this comes from Scripture. Scripture says that wives are to submit to their husbands and to respect them. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ. And in our years of marriage counseling, we would say this is the most frequently repeated issue. Men who don't feel respected by their wives and wives who don't feel loved by their husbands. And I think it comes out of Genesis. Uh, The wife was designed to be a helper, and that does not mean inferior in any way. That word is used to describe God more than anything else that's used for helper there. But uh, in the garden, after Eve sinned, she sinned because she was trying to help. She was trying to make things better, and the serpent deceived her. And uh, so it couldn't have been sin that caused her to sin. So it was her DNA said, I can make things better for our marriage. She eats the fruit and uh, then sin enters. And after that, uh, wives tendency, and this is Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That desire means a desire to control. And uh, so women are often thinking they're being helpful. Virginia will say, well, I was just trying to help you turn the right way, or I was just trying to help you drive better. But (laughs) I'm feeling disrespected by that. And uh, so the number one need that husbands have is to be respected by their wife. Man, that is so true. So so Emerson Egrix was on to something with his book, Love and Respect. I think he was, and I think it's a great, great book, but what what we have come to believe is we it's not just I'm male and she's female, but my DNA from the fall is why I don't love her well. See, Adam was there. He should have been leading. He should have said, hey, Eve, don't eat the fruit. God said, don't eat the fruit. But he's off in La La Land, and he doesn't want to upset his wife. And uh, then she gives it to him. He knew he shouldn't have eaten it, but he just wants her to be happy. And boy, I think that's how marriages are today. Wives are trying to make their husbands better. He's feeling disrespected. Husbands are just saying, well, as long as you're happy, that's fine. And they're not leading. You see, 
Eve tried to help Adam instead of obey God. Adam tried to please Eve instead of obey God. And from then, it went downhill. Boy, I'll tell you, it sure did. I, I'm I'm just curious. I've never... So first of all, what I I told you, I quote you more than anything, uh, one thing more than anything else. <laughs> and the one thing that you said at family camp at Catalina Island years and years ago was this this desire to control her husband. That yeah. that word that stuck with me. And you know, I, the more I study marriage, the more I realize you are actually that you are right. And and the desire that she has for her hu- husband is to control him. But I'd never thought of this before. You just now said that she wants to make him better. She wants to make the marriage better. Can you walk us through that? Because I've always thought it was a control because she's insecure, because she doesn't trust. I've never thought about her desire to make things better. Well, if if she was actually brought in to be a helper, then part of her DNA is to help. Uh, what Satan does is he takes our DNA and tries to twist it uh, to his advantage. And so... When Virginia is uh, telling me that I didn't park in the right spot, I'm not driving right, I didn't clean right, uh, I am feeling disrespected. And she is feeling, no, I'm just trying to help. Now, where that has been helpful to me is when she is saying that, I'm thinking, and I don't say this, but I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, that's just your sinful nature. That's You're trying to help. But because of sin you're using it to control. Yeah, you definitely don't want to say that out loud. It's like saying, "Oh, honey, it's just PMS. It's okay." <laughs> well, so so I, I want to unpack this with you cuz this has really got me intrigued because uh this just happened to me yesterday. Uh my wife is really good at trying to make me better, and uh after 27 years of marriage, I really appreciate it. But help me, Paul. This isn't in your book. So help me. My first response to her trying to make me better as it manifests through maybe disrespect or control, my first response is anger. But it sounds like my first response instead should be gratitude. Is that true? Well, I think we're if we really believe that our spouse is for us, we should at least give them the courtesy of listening to them. Uh, and not be angry with them. I, I, to be honest, I don't think most of us as men, every time our wife corrects us, say, oh, thank you, dear. I <laughs> just, I love being reminded that I didn't do the dishes right or yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we've come to a point uh, of appreciating each other in our differences. Uh, it used to be when I would say I'd clean the kitchen, Virginia would come home and she'd say, oh, I thought you said you were going to clean the kitchen. Oh. And, I, and I said, well, I did. And she said, you call this clean, and then we get in a big argument. Now, when she comes home, she says, thanks for cleaning the kitchen. Stop. (laughs) I say, oh, you're welcome, but I'm sure it's not quite up to what you would like to, and it doesn't bother me if you finish. And it's just acknowledging that we're different. I think the longer we're married, the more we understand we're really for each other, but Satan wants to use those differences to to egg us into arguments with each other. One of the things I want to say about the husband just wanting to please his wife that happened in the garden was that he didn't challenge and lead Eve well. And when I speak to husbands uh, who are 60, 70, 80 years old, I see a lot of men 
who are what I call yes, dear men. Mm-hmm. They gave up. They gave up living years ago for the sake of peace. And I think we have failed as men to be servant leaders and to lead our wives well. Yeah, you told a story in your book about being henpecked, and I thought that was really funny. I heard a story one time where you know. Uh, this isn't theologically accurate by any means, but but this guy dies. He comes to heaven, and here's Saint Peter, and uh, he's standing there, and and he looks over, and there's this line of a billion men on one side, and one man on the other side, just one man standing alone. And the guy said to Saint Peter, "What is the what are these lines?" And the and Saint Peter said, "Well, that that line, that real long line with every man ever lived, is the line of henpecked men, and the one over there is the guy who said he's the spiritual leader." And Peter and this guy said, well, that's really intriguing. So he walked over with St. Peter and he said, I've just got to ask you this question. Of all the men ever to live, you're the only one who's not a henpecked. Tell me what you did. He goes, well, heck, I don't know, buddy. I just went where my wife told me to line up. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but you know, so, so what would you say to these men that are, you know, from your book, I think you actually use the phrase henpecked, these guys that have given up for the sake of peace, what would you say about them getting back in the fight and fighting for their wife and fighting for their marriage? Well, I think the first thing is uh, just to have a conversation, say, listen, I really do want to lead well, but I, and I, don't, I know I don't always get it right, but I need some encouragement and support. And my feeling is that wives that are really loved well tend not to be as disrespectful to their husbands, mm-hmm. that and I feel a lot of women who have become uh, critical don't feel that their husband is for them. Then they turn to being critical of their husband, where if the husband loved them well in the first place, they'd be different women. Well, on page 89 of your book, you said this, quote, Many wives want their husbands to be responsible for the family, but at the same time bristle. When the I see a, I I have a picture of a dog bristling right when the husband exerts his leadership in a way that does not that she does not agree with, and and I am going back to something you said a, several times that we as men have to realize our wife is for us. Maybe even more so, Paul. They need to realize that we are for them. Right. Uh, we just had a long counseling call last night with a couple and. You know, at the end, we just said, if she knew he really loved her, it would change who she is. And if he knew that she was really for him, it would change who he was. Uh, And and that's the call for us to love sacrificially. It's interesting that scripture doesn't say husbands love your wife if she's not critical. It just says husbands love your wife, period. And it doesn't say wives respect your husband if he's the kind of guy you thought he should be in every way. It just says wives respect your husband. And the caveat obviously is we're not talking about respecting sinful behavior there, but most of the conflict in marriage comes from just picking at little things. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I go back to Egrick's book, Love and Respect, because uh, I read something in that book that really impacted me. You know, men, we naturally as men give respect. It's men really thrive on respect. I'd rather have you respect me than love me. Uh, I do respect naturally. My wife and women do love naturally. They just love naturally. It, it flows out of them. They're, even their body shape is made to love and nurture. They're just made for love. And it's funny to me that in Scripture, God asks the men to do something that does not come naturally to them, love. And he asks the women to do something that does not come naturally to them, respect. 
And so we're fighting to get into a sweet spot that we don't naturally gravitate to. And I think that's just such a cool thing for God to ask us to do because that's what he asked Jesus to do. Right. So that's so. Well, cool. and, you, and you see the Ephesians 5 is the antidote to the fall. Yes. So because my tendency is to not lead well, the Apostle Paul says, no, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Because Virginia's tendency is to try to control me, the Apostle Paul says, no, submit and respect him. That's the antidote. That gets us back to the garden. Yeah, so so how would you define, I love the word submit. I realize it's a military term used in the Bible. I have no problems preaching on biblical submission because I think wives have it easier than men because we're called to sacrifice our lives and die. In your book, you gave a great illustration of sacrifice, you, the pig and the the chicken story. Do you want to share yeah. that story? You've got some great well, stories in the book. Share that story and how it relates to how we should uh, love our wives. Well, on the, on a farm, a chicken and a pig got together and they really liked their master. And they said, well, why don't we just uh, have a meal for our master? And uh, the, the pig said, well, easy. All you're going to do is contribute. It's a sacrifice for me. Yeah. Uh, for him to be bacon was total sacrifice. Yeah. I'm just going to give him some <laughs> eggs and you do the bacon. <laughs> yeah. So, but we're but we're called to be the bacon, right? Yeah. Right. We so, are. We're called a sacrifice. I, I I said at a men's conference once: husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and that means being willing to sacrifice your love your life for your wife. A man came up afterwards and he says, "Die for her? That's easy. Living with her it's what killing me." <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, you talk about, so how do we as men, I mean, I love having this talk because, I, you know, I'm married 27 years. Today's my wife's 50th birthday. Oh, so we're going to, we're going to talk about your birthday failures <laughs> and, and I need some advice from you, but, um, you know, but 27 years, we've been together almost 30 by the grace of God. And, and, you know, she's a strong, dynamic, powerful woman. I appreciate that about her, but that curse of control is a part of her uh, DNA, so to speak. So how do I, how do we as men, and almost every man I know is a believer shares this same dilemma, right? And because it's just the way it's life after the fall. How do we love her in that brokenness? When I say brokenness, I mean that's a post-fall state. How do I love her through her desire to control me? How do I exhibit sacrificial love for her and to her? Well, I think it comes first from really knowing her uh, and doing those things which are meaningful to her. I think often we love in the way we want to be loved. You mentioned this already. And uh, I, I'm a physical touch person, so I'll hug Virginia, and I'm thinking, man, she must feel loved. And she's saying, if you love me, do the dishes. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it, we're just different in that and uh, how we feel loved. And I think for a man to know his wife is so critical we just talked to a couple that the husband for the wife's birthday researched the most expensive, the best perfume on the market. He went out, he bought it, he gave it to her. She said, I don't even use perfume. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and they got in a big fight. And I think sometimes we as husbands are just clueless. Scripture says husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. And I think sometimes after we get married, we just check out and we don't, we're not students of our wives. We don't know what flowers they like, what, you know, what their shoe size is or blouse size or dress. If we're going to get something for them, 
we've just given up. And basically we've said, if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. I don't like that movie. I'm not going instead of no, you do. I think I tell the story in the book, uh, Jim, of Lou and Grace, who tell us uh, to use their story with permission. But Lou uh, and Grace were in our off in our room after 30 years of marriage. And uh, Gr- Lou told Grace, I've never loved you for a day Yes, in our marriage. Wow. I remember that. Really awkward for us, devastating for Grace. They uh, split for a year and a half. Uh, Lou never should have married Grace. He was a diesel mechanic, rough and tough, raised in orphanage, foster homes. Grace was Dutch in every form of the word, never a speck of dirt. Her hair always perfect, clothes always matched. Well, by God's grace, they come back together after a year and a half, and we're at the Nutcracker Ballet. And at intermission, I go up to Lou and I said, oh, Lou, you like ballet, huh? And he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, I love my wife. Mm. And that's the right answer. And you see, Lou goes to ballet and Lou goes to craft shows and Lou goes to quilting exhibits because he loves Grace. Grace goes to drag races and Grace goes to rodeos, not because their preferences have changed, but their hearts have changed. And I think we need husbands whose hearts have changed. And they're saying, you know, if it's important for you to take a walk on the beach, I'm going to take a walk on the beach. It's not whether we like walking on the beach, it's she likes walking on the beach. And we are called never to use our authority for our own ends, always to use our authority to serve. Christ came to serve, not to be served. And when our wives see us use our authority in that way, they willingly, joyfully submit in the midst of the whole thing. And so so to answer a question you rhetorically asked, tulips, five and a half to six, and anything from Nordstrom's. <laughs> you got it. So, Sound like so, you're a good student. <laughs> well, I have a PhD in one woman. Uh, anyway, so, but, you know, we had a guy on our podcast last week named uh, Reggie Campbell. He wrote a book called What Radical Husbands Do, and it, it's like your book. It's simple, it's easy to read, and it's just so, so powerful. And in that, he quotes a guy named George Washington Carver, who came up with 267 uses for the peanut, and he said, "Everything will re- anything will reveal its secrets if you love it enough." And I just uh, what you said inspired me to think: if we just love our women enough, they will give us the secrets of their heart, and then we take those secrets and we 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 enjoy th- uh, the things they love with them. I I just uh, my wife's a flight attendant, and uh, so we I got on a plane. She worked the flight flew to Hawaii for 24-hour layover and flew home. Why did I take three days to do that? Well, because I love my wife and she loves warm things and she loves me. So me mm-hmm. plus warm things is a win-win for our marriage. And so <laughs> so I, I in 05 when she first told me we were going to Hawaii, I hated that. Why would I take football season and hunting season and go sit in the water when I don't know how to swim? And so this is this is really, really important stuff. And so I really appreciate that. You wrote you quoted a guy uh, you know, let me take a break real quick. We'll come right back. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group. 
today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So, so Paul, you quote a Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, which I love that book. And in that book, he said one thing that I quote all the time, and you quoted it in your book. And so I think as men, we just have to understand this uh, about marriage. Gary Thomas wrote, you quoted, I believe it, this, on page 102, um, well, he talked about his. He talked about in marriage that it's marriage is not about making you happy, but it's about making you holy. And then regarding that quote, you said this on page one hundred two, and what and this statement, Paul, is so profound to me. You said sacrificial love will involve in some way knowing your wife's desires and cheerfully doing something to meet those desires. Now, I know we've already talked about that, but let's go back to it. Let's revisit this concept, because a lot of guys are out there who tell their wives, hey, I just like to do this, and you're going to do it with me, or I just like to do this, don't come with me. That's kind of a rookie mistake in marriage, right? Uh, right, and you the, the word there is cheerfully do it. <laughs> if you... Yeah. If, if you go and watch Hallmark, but the whole time you're doing it, you're on your iPhone or you're telling her at the end, you know, I hope you enjoyed this because I didn't, uh, <laughs> you know, you get no points for that. So uh, if we truly love our wives, we're going to get joy when our wives are getting joy. Yes. And I think that's the heart change that I do things with our girls were growing up. I didn't especially love playing Candyland, but I got a kick out of it because they love doing it. and. It wasn't drudgery for me. And I think if we see our wives that uh, one of the things we're called is to help our wives be more radiant. Yes. And I think a lot of wives are looking really haggard because their husbands have had them serve them their whole life rather than the husband serve the wife. Well, that's a huge problem. Isn't there a verse in the Bible? Tell me how you interpret this verse. It says, the wife is the glory of a man. How would you interpret that? Well, you know, if a husband loves his wife well, she is going to be radiant, and it is going to be a compliment to him. Uh, I met a couple in Uganda. First time I ever met them, I walk up to the man. He's with his wife, and I say to him, you are our great husband. He said, you've never met me. And I said, look at your wife. She's radiant. Yes. Okay, so now we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about the eight-cow wife. <laughs> because that leads right into it. You tell a story. I'm going to do this as an equipping. It's a beautiful story about a very average-looking woman. And uh, will you share the story and how that relates to your book? Right. Well, it's a wonderful story, Eight Cow Wife, and uh, you can look at the whole story. But the, the, the short synopsis is uh, Johnny Lingo went uh, to Nabonde to look for, to do some fishing. And he was told that, uh, there was one man who knew fishing more than anyone else. And, uh, but 
then they say that he got married and then everybody sort of chuckled. And he always said, well, why are you chuckling? And then they told him, well, he married Sarita and uh, Sarita, he said it would be a compliment to call her plain. <laughs> and yet her, they say her father was hoping for maybe two cows, but he'd settle for one. And then he was told, Johnny Lingo said, I'll give you eight cows. And it was just never heard of. And so he went, he sat in Johnny Lingo's house and this woman came in who was just beautiful. And uh, he stared at her and he said, this is your wife? And Johnny Lingo <laughs> says, yes. Are you surprised? And then to make a long story short, he says, well, I was told she was plain. And uh, he says, do you find her plain? No, she's beautiful. And then Johnny says, do you know what it does to a wife when she thinks she's worth one cow or two cow? I did not want that. I wanted a wife who knew how val valuable she was to me. And I paid eight cows for her because I wanted an eight cow wife. And, uh, you know, if, if w it's never good for us as men to say cow and wife in the same sentence ever, <laughs> but it, it's a great story about how our wives become more radiant when we give value to them. Oh, that's so good. So I told you my wife is 50 today. So on Monday, we celebrated her 50. It's kind of like her birthday week. We had like five or six things. And then on Monday, we had a family birthday party. And we went to a um, Cuban restaurant. And they came out with this paella. And the guy said, now be careful. This is smoking hot. And I said, oh, man, just like my wife. And my kids, my kids, my kids. I have three adult sons. They said, oh, he always says that about her. And I think, that, I think that's really interesting. And I'm not tooting my horn. I, I, well, maybe a little. But what I want to <laughs> I want to go back to this concept of of making our women eight cow wives, so to speak, uh, about pursuing them and choosing them and romancing them. Now, today's my wife's birthday, but you confessed about some issues you've had with your wife's birthday. Can you share the the story <laughs> about the birthday cards? Well, well. <laughs> That uh, has a lot to do with temperament. That, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is the one you're talking about, but uh, I got a card for my wife's birthday. Is actually when Gary Thomas was speaking at a conference of ours, and she said, don't celebrate our birthday. My birthday got too much going on. But I got her flowers, and I got her a card, and uh, I was already out in the morning. She wakes up. There's the flowers, a card to her, and it tells you know, you make my day this and this, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful card, how we compliment each other. And then you open it up and it says, you make me a better me. Happy anniversary. <laughs> and it was her birthday. Oh, no, I was okay. I was thinking of a that was thinking about the story where your wife would buy four or five birthday cards, put oh, them on your okay. bed and say, choose one for me. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I think in most men's lives, there are five days that they dread more than any. Uh, their wife's birthday, anniversary, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, and Christmas. Because they're pretty sure they're not going to get it right. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I confess that we've gotten to the place that I, on Virginia's birthday one day, I rolled over and looked on my nightstand and she had four birthday cards that I could choose from so I'd get it right. <laughs> yeah, Shanna will send me all the things she wants for her birthday or Christmas, <clears throat> and then I'll, she'll order them and then act surprised when she opens the presents <laughs> that she's wrapped. 
But uh, anyway, that's too funny. Oh man! Yeah. So, so go ahead, Jim. I want to. I just want to emphasize that when we live by God's design, it's best for both of us. Yes. Uh, God's design works. We spoke in Portland, Oregon, a number of years ago, and the third talk we gave was on marital sexuality. And at the end of the talk, the husband turned to the wife and said, want to go to bed? And she said, no, I think we need to talk about how our marriage is doing. And they got in a big fight. I saw the woman later about midnight. She was in the lobby of this four-star resort reading a book by herself. And I thought neither of them got what they wanted. When he said, let's go to bed, he's saying, let's go make love. And she's saying, no, we need to connect relationally. Neither of them got it. And I thought how different it would have been if he says, let's go to bed. And she said, no, I think we need to talk. And he says, okay, let's talk. I almost guarantee after connecting relationally, she would have been more interested in physical involvement. Or let's say he says, let's go to bed. And she says, yeah, let's go have sex. We can always talk tomorrow. I don't think it would ever happen, but just for sake of illustration, I'll use it. Uh, But (laughs) the truth is we don't do it manipulatively. He doesn't say, okay, I listened to you for 30 minutes. You owe me 10. It's just, I listen to you because you're my wife and I love you. And that's what I do. But when we do it, we both benefit from it. Yeah. There's a real uh, learning curve when it comes to sex. And I'm not talking about the act. I'm talking about the frequency and the intensity. And it seems to me that you had said earlier, if we love what she loves, and then in your book you talked about, you said on page 76 of your book, our wives want us to continue to pursue and choose them. So if I continue to choose and pursue her, if I love what she loves, that makes the frequency of sex more often, it makes the intensity of sex more often, uh, there's no begging or pleading or bargaining involved. I, I think there's a there's an evolution for these younger guys, let's say from 25 to 35, to really begin to learn and understand what this means to love their wife and to make love to their wife. Absolutely. I tell the story in the book about a, a woman who got up on her birthday and went into the kitchen, turned the light on, and throughout the whole kitchen were Post-it notes where her husband said, you're beautiful, you're sexy, you're intelligent. I love you more than anyone. All this. And uh, he, she was just blown away. She's in tears. He comes out to the kitchen and she's just hugging him and loving on him and then takes him back to the bedroom. And he says, I thought it was my birthday after that. <laughs> That's, I mean, honestly, w- women are so complex, but they're really so simple. If we affirm their beauty, love them in their brokenness, serve them. If we do the things that Jesus tells us to do in Ephesians chapter five, it's a game changer, but we tend to be, well, let's keep talking about sex because that's, that's one of my favorite things. (laughs) You said, do what she loves, right? Okay. Page 107, you write about sex and sacrificial love. And you say this, that sex me regarding sacrificial love and sex, it means thinking about her more than we think about ourselves. So how has this evolved for you and Virginia, Paul, over the years? You've been married 43 years. How has your sexuality evolved, changed? Um, you know, especially in an era, I mean, gen- when I speak to men, uh, what I have found, most men have a stronger sex drive than their wives. You know, I yeah. when I was 30, I thought about sex every three seconds. 
Now at 53, I think about it every, I don't know, five seconds. And so, <laughs> so you know, that's generally speaking, you know, when I, my wife walks out of the shower, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so rad. When I get out of the shower, she goes, oh, gross, go get your robe on or something. So, <laughs> so how, how when, when you talk about sacrificial love making, you're not saying to abstain until she's ready. What are you talking about? Well, you asked how it's affected our life. Yes. I'll just say uh, less frequently, and it takes longer now, but yeah. uh, we still work at it. But the sacrificial love that a husband's called to give, you know, our wives' bodies are different than ours. And I think every man wants a wife who is involved with him sexually, not who just shows up. I don't know any man who loves it when his wife says, okay, get this over with. It's why do that? Um, so even in scripture, in Song of Solomon 2, 6, I believe, it says, my left hand was under her head and my right hand embraced her. And the word embrace there literally means fondle her. Yes. And I think what it's saying is, husbands, take care of your wife first before you take care of yourself. And I think a lot of us as men are simple enough. We think, well, I like this. She should like it. You know, if we just do traditional sex, we're done. And she's saying, uh, what happened? Uh, <laughs> she is not prepared, not into it. Even the way the bodies are designed, the location of the clitoris for a woman, it takes in specific stimulation that's apart from just regular sex. And I think we as men are really slow in this area. But let me again say the the preparing our wives for sex starts way, way before the bedroom. Yep. It's she's feeling loved. She uh, she and if she initiates, what a great thing, because she's just feeling how much we love her. Yeah. That quote that you shared from Song of Solomon is on page 107 in your book. And it's uh, chapter two, verses six, and then chapter eight, verse three. So, uh, really, really important, guys, that we understand this stuff. So let's let's transition a little bit <clears throat> to uh, you know we're talking about Hallmark movies and foot rubs and walks on the beach and all these things. A lot of guys uh, who are listening to this podcast are between our, our sweet spot is twenty five to forty five. These guys are driving to work. They're in the stress bubble. They have uh, kids in the home. You know, they're they're trying to do all things and, and they're spread real thin. A lot of these guys are saying, man, all this stuff sounds like girly and effeminate. You know, you're at, are, is Christianity one of those religions that makes me less of a man? And so, you know, you're, you have a, a substantial ministry to the New England Patriots, which is, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I'm going to tell you, the Patriots are the best <laughs> NFL team that we've seen in 15 years, six Super Bowl championships. Uh, they are really, really impressive. Right now they're undefeated as we have this interview. And so a football player's understanding, Paul, of masculinity and manhood is definitely not effeminate. <laughs> right? Absolutely not. So, so you're working with these guys and their wives every week. Uh, you wrote in page 45 of your book, we often see Jesus as effeminate and are afraid to fall, that following him will require giving up our masculinity and that we will end up being sweet and nice. We are afraid, you continue, that if we are like Jesus, we will never get what we want. What I'm here to say, this is you speaking, what I'm here to say is that Jesus was a man's man. He had to be to lead a group of rough and tough men. So we're saying to do these things to love your wife better, 
these some of these guys may be saying, well, that sounds kind of girly and effeminate, but we know that's that's not true. Can you walk us through what what we're really talking about here? We're saying being masculine like Jesus is and loving our wives and that kind of tension that men have. Yeah, I I think we're we're called to be servant leaders, and that in no way makes us effeminate. We Scripture has given us authority in the home, uh, and we are to use that in ways that honor our wives. It doesn't mean that we no longer climb mountains, play football, or that we're aggressive. You look at Peter, you look at the fishermen, you look at the sons of thunder. I mean, yeah. these are wusses. And, uh, and when they came to Christ, Peter's mouth didn't shut. Uh, the fishermen didn't quit fishing. The sons of thunder didn't stop being expressive. And I think we, uh, we want to live out our God-given masculinity, but that doesn't mean that we use our authority in ways that uh, minimize the needs of our wife. I think that's where we really come alive, where we are using our authority in ways that serve other people. It doesn't make us a wuss. But going watching a Hallmark movie doesn't make you a weak man. It just makes you a wise man. Yes. That is so good. Well, I mean, Jesus is the one who named the, the brothers the Sons of Thunder. Jesus is the one who nicknamed Peter the Rock. I mean, these guys were rough guys. And so I, I, I think, tell me what you think about this statement. I think that serving Jesus makes you more of a man than you ever could be. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that uh, I think it was John Eldridge in Wild at Heart that says femininity can never bestow masculinity. Mm. And I think one of the challenges us as dads is to raise sons who really are vital, who are uh, risk takers, who are those who lead well. And uh, I, I think we have a lot of men today who are really sweet. They're really nice, but they're not going anywhere. They're not yeah. leading. And uh, I think most wives want a husband who leads. That doesn't mean selfishly. We have some friends that we just said, what did you do this weekend? And he said, I went away to do to a video game conference for the weekend. And I thought, oh, wow. And I said, how did that work? And he said, my wife said, why don't you go? You have been so helpful to me and working so hard. I think you need a break. That's how I think it goes. It didn't make him a weak man. He was leading from a strength position and she appreciated it and saying, well, I want you to do something you really want to do. And I think ideally when we serve our wives well, they are going to start looking out for us as well. Well, because at the heart of the wife, going back to the beginning of the podcast, her heart is for us. She right. wants us to win more than any other person on the planet. And as we begin to understand and and adhere to her co coaching, can I use that phrase? <laughs> as we begin to grow as men and mature, and we understand what it means to wash the dishes. We understand some of the things that she loves. Then they uh, are more at peace with the relationship. I think. Yes. Because that desire to control, you know, I, I agree. It does come from a point of her wanting us to be better. But I also think it comes from her, uh, her insecurities as a woman. Right. And so uh, that's really good, man. I appreciate that. So. So we're asking this guy to lead sacrificially. We're asking him to lead spiritually. 
And I have found, Paul, and I know that you've found this too, that men are just really confused about how to lead spiritually. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge issue. We probably hear that from wives uh, as much as anything. I wish my husband were a spiritual leader. And I, I frankly don't understand fully why God has called us to lead spiritually. <laughs> yeah, because it seems our wives tend to be a little more relational. If they can be in one small group, they'll be in one. They can be in two. They just like to talk, talk, talk about spiritual things. Yep. Uh, men, not so much. Even at a social event, a woman will get up, say, I'm going to the bathroom, and she'll say, does anybody else want to go with me? Three other ladies walk. I've never heard a man go, I'm going to the bathroom. Anybody want to go with me? I do that all the time. Oh, no, yeah, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's well, it, right? <laughs> Heck no, I don't do that. <laughs> no. And uh, I think we as men tend to be a little more independent. And we're not, we, we just don't gravitate naturally to these touchy-feely things. Uh, but God calls us to lead. I think what that means is, man, take initiative. It doesn't mean, our wives don't need us to have all the right answers, but they want us to take initiative. On Sunday morning, it isn't, I hope she oversleeps so we don't go to church. It's, I'm going to get up. I'm going to start fixing breakfast. I'm going to wake the family up and say, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord to worship. Yeah. I, I just think it's uh, devotions. I don't think we have to do it perfectly, but boy, she'll appreciate it if we initiate it. And uh, let's acknowledge sometimes they're better. Just say, you know, I, I, I think we need to be together and do this. Would you lead tonight? There's nothing wrong with that. No, that's so true. Take initiative. Well, you know, I, I have the opportunity to speak regularly at Iron Sharpens Iron conferences. Yeah. And so at Iron Sharpens Iron conferences, because it's all men at these conferences, they let you use the women's bathrooms. And then <laughs> those are awesome. They always have a couch in there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you would never see that. Hey, let's just sit on the couch and have a cup of coffee in the bathroom. I don't get it. It's just too funny to me. But on page 125 of your book, so on page 122, you list the things that we can do to be spiritual leaders. And I really appreciate your list, Paul, because a lot of times you get these, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, I'll call it a homeschool list. And and you uh, most guys just can't fulfill it. It's just overwhelming to them. Uh, Brian Doyle, who founded Iron Sharpens Iron, says when he talks to men about spiritual leadership, he just asks them to do one small thing. He doesn't tell them what he does because they'd be overwhelmed. So so in your book on page 125, <laughs> you, ha you have a list of women that you surveyed, their wives, about what they desire from their husbands. And all of them except for one wife and the final wife, her husband must have been a unicorn. She said he exceeded <laughs> her expectations. But every other wife said they wished their husbands would do one thing together and then earlier in your book, you you served, you talked about a Gallup poll that talked about that one thing and how if couples would do that one thing together, it would take their chances of divorce from 50, 50% to one out of over 1,100 couples. What is that thing and why is it so important for wives to have our men initiate it? Well, it's the area of prayer. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why prayer is so difficult because it's so absolutely critical that uh, we pray differently. Most men pray task-wise. Lord, I need this. Help me with this. Boom, 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 boom. We're done in 30 seconds. Virginia is praying for 10 minutes. Lord, thank you for the cumulus clouds and the beauty of this day. I can't believe how gracious you are. To blah, blah, blah. And it's 10 minutes before, in my mind, she starts praying. And then I'm asleep by then. <laughs> 
she looks over and says, spiritual pygmy. And here's the deal. <laughs> if a man fails at work, he tr- works harder. If he fails at home, he quits. Ooh. And so, oh. so, so most men, when they pray, they don't feel adequate. Mm. And so they quit praying. Uh, in a great book by uh, Brant Hansen, uh, he says this. He said, when, when Jesus prayed, he gave us the model prayer. It took 25 seconds, and he sat down. <laughs> and if that's good enough for Jesus, then why do we feel we need to go on for 15 minutes? And uh, I just think we need to tell our wives, I want to pray with you, but I can't be judged by you in praying like you. We had a couple come to us, and we said, why are you here? She said, because my husband isn't a spiritual leader. Said, tell me, he only prays and reads his Bible 10 minutes every day. And I said, Did you say every day? <laughs> yes. She said, For 10 minutes. Isn't that pathetic? If he really loved Jesus, he'd do it for 30 to 45 minutes like me. And I said, Ma'am, you have a husband that's in at least the top 5% of our church. Yep. But if you keep going at him like this, he will be part of the 95% because he'll quit. That's so powerful, man. So so what would you say to a guy who I think most of us would struggle to pray with our wives regularly? Regularly for a guy, I would say I would say once a week, once every couple of weeks, if a guy's not doing it now. How how could a guy initiate regular prayer with his wife? Well, I think the first thing is just tell her, you know, I really want us to pray together. Uh, after you pick her up off the floor cuz she's fainted, <laughs> uh, uh, bring her back and say and what do you think of this? Uh, why don't, before we go to bed, if you go to bed together or when you start your day together, let's pray together and we'll just alternate. Uh, I'll initiate prayer on the odd days because I'm more odd. You initiate it on the even <laughs> days and uh, we'll just pray together. And then if you miss your day, though, you can't say to your husband, you know, you missed your day. You just don't pray that day. But if you pray every other day, you're going to start praying together and make it short. I think if you haven't prayed together, try this every day before you part each other, just say this one thing. What could I pray for you today? Yeah. And then literally right there, you're holding each other for 30 seconds. Say, Lord, help Jane today. You know, she's got a tough exam and will you help her? as She does it or help her in her meeting or help her with the children today. You know, she's tired and that's it. Then if you want bonus points at the end of the day, ask her how that went. Ah, I know for Shannon and I, uh, we're very situational because needs come across, people are hurting. So we'll just say, hey, let's pray for them right now. And so I find that we do regular, fairly short prayers, and she's yeah. great with that. She puts on her worship music and we'll worship for hours. But the, So the short prayers really work for us. Uh, but yeah. I would say anything, even if, if you don't even pray together for your meals start there start somewhere but this is a big deal you know you had said that Gallup did a poll and they found that 1123 or it's a one in 1123 chance of divorce if a couple prays regularly together and it's crazy how that one thing makes such a difference absolutely oh man well so hey Paul uh, we are up and out of time. <laughs> I, I re- again, I really love your book, and what I loved about it, it was it started slower and ended stronger than most books, and that's really Thanks. how a book should read. That's really how a book should be because that's how we as men should be. 
it doesn't matter how we start. It's our finish that really counts. So I really appreciate oh, your good. book, man. So good. Guys, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can pick this book up. Uh, well, uh, his webs- uh, uh, Paul's website, Home Improvement, is it Home Improvement Ministries? What is the name of your organization? Yes. Yeah. Home, Home Improvement Imp- Ministries. Home Improvement Ministries is www, capital H, capital I, capital M, web, all lowercase, dot org www capital h i m lowercase w e b dot org. Uh, can they get their book? Your books on Amazon. Where else can they get the books? Amazon or our website. And actually, if you even type in himweb lowercase, it'll work. So himweb dot org. Yeah, this is a great book, guys. It's an easy, easy read. And so, man, make sure you – a lot of great stories in the book, too. I just love the story. So, hey, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate you, Paul, and your ministry to my own family over the years and uh, to a lot of our mutual friends. And so, guys, hey, let's get our boots on the ground, guys. Before we go, what do we want you to do because of what you heard today? And this is very simple. You know what's coming. Here it is. I want you to define regular. I don't care what that means for you, but, guys – Commit to regularly pray for your wife. If you've never prayed with her, start praying once a month. Start somewhere, once a week, but commit regularly to pray with her and let it progress over time. So we don't want to overwhelm you, but this is so vital in a marriage. And so if you are one of those guys, you I pray with my wife every day. We're so regular, we pray all the time. Okay, here's your boots on the ground. Take your wife on a creative date. You create it. You overwhelm her that you have seen what she loves and love her where she's at and take her on a creative date. So, guys, we'll also post our boots on the ground on our weekly equipping blast that goes out to thousands of guys around the world. And when uh, you can go subscribe to that on our website at meninarena.org. When you do so, grab a free electronic version of my bathroom book for men. And uh, you can also head on over to Facebook or our website, get involved with thousands of men from around the world on our forum. So, guys, we are a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization, and we exist to help men become their best version because of a large group of donors like yourselves are able to do so. And we freely offer our podcast, our forums, and all of our resources to men in underdeveloped nations, missionaries, and active military. So we do that because of you. So you can partner with us at meninarena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Love your wife where she's at. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's Bathroom Book for Men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.